You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I'm going to be talking about uh, how you. Uh, I'm going to be talking about caring for the unchanging person. All of us have someone in our lives that that we want them to love Jesus and to walk with Him, but at this point, for whatever reason, they are unwilling to do that. And you love them, and you would find no greater joy that they would walk with the Lord. And so I want to talk to you, not the person who is unchanging, but the person who is caring for that unchanging person. Typically, that has something to do with our loved ones, the people that we love the most. Maybe it's a spouse, or it could be a parent, maybe a child or some extended relative, Uh, but those that we pour our lives into and we want to share the practical gospel of Christ with them, but they are resistant and we carry them on our hearts. Well, we can over-worry and we can be anxious about them. And I want to talk about finding rest, finding comfort uh, while you care for people who won't change. In fact, I titled the podcast, How to Find Comfort, knowing you can't change people. And so I'll talk about that in just a moment, but I do want to give you a brief update of where I've been, where Lucia and I have been the last few days. This is my first podcast back since we went to Sarasota, Florida. We came in Sunday from Sarasota. We went down last Thursday. This is January the 21st, 2020. And I want to uh, thank the good folks in Sarasota at Calvary Chapel. There was a wonderful group of people. We cried and we laughed and we reflected and and hopefully the Lord did a good work in, in all of our lives while we were down there. I want to thank particularly Carl and Sarah Cadwell who put on the conference. They run a counseling center in Sarasota and they ask, Uh, me to come down and speak with Daniel Berger, uh, Dr. Daniel Berger. He actually lives here in Greenville, uh, South Carolina, with me. We never team-taught before, so we didn't know how that was going to go off, Daniel and I. uh, We focus on biblical counseling from two different perspectives. He is a big, wonderful worldview guy and apologist as he helps us to understand the DSM-4, DSM-5, the DSM language disorders, the interplay between the organic and the non-organic, really worldview shaping and bringing convincing arguments for a biblical perspective, a high view of the scriptures when it comes to discipling others. And so he gives us a a solid grasp of that and does an exceptional job. Then I came along and I get more into the nuts and bolts of practical change, how to change. And so it worked wonderfully well and everyone seemed to be encouraged and helped to varying degrees. Uh, We did team teach. I did a pre-conference talk on Friday afternoon before the conference started at around 3 o'clock or so, 3.30. I did a talk on the cyber effect. and It was unrelated to the conference, and we had a lot of people that showed up for that, and I was really encouraged that they did, and it was received very well. In fact, if you want to read that talk, it is a 5,400-word document that is sitting on our website. All you have to do is type cyber effect, E. F-F-E-C-T, into 
the search box and that talk will come up. There's a lot of embedded links and graphics there as well. But thank you, Carl and Sarah, for having us down. It was a wonderful experience for us. Thank you, Mark and Heather Kirby, who uh, gave Lucia and I a place to stay. Uh, typically, when we go and do conferences, I don't want to stay in hotels if I can get around it. I prefer to stay with the people because part of uh, doing a conference, at least from my perspective, you want to get to know the people. So as much time as you can spend with the people, it helps to uh, for me to adapt and shape my content to that unique group that I'm speaking to. It's, it's really similar to a counseling session. You could have two people with the same problem, but you wouldn't necessarily counsel them the same way. And so no church is the same. And so the more that we can spend with a church or a group, the more we can learn about them. And it, it gives us good contours and shape uh, as I speak to them. And so Mark and Heather, thank you for your hospitality. Uh, you did a wonderful job. And then the pastors, youth pastor uh, Reggie Green, thank you um, for being so kind uh, to us, and I appreciate your affection for the Lord and and what God has done in your life and is doing as He's positioned you uh, at that church there. And uh, there were several other folks, but I do want to mention one person in particular. It's a lady that came up to me, and I I saw on her name tag it said Judith Hall, and I said, "Oh, you're Judith Hall. You're one of our supporters." And she was really surprised by that that I would know her name. And it kind of caught me off guard because, but then again, there was no reason for her to think that I would know her name. But what caught me off guard was that I know all of our supporters by name. I, I have prayed for them for many years, the, the long-term supporters and the recent ones. And so when I saw her name, I knew that she had been supporting our ministry uh, for a while. And so I just made that connection, and so she was surprised. And so I thought that it would be good for me to say that. I do know our supporters by name, and and that is actually one of the highlights of going and speaking at various places because they are the people that I, I want to personally thank them uh, wherever I can find them when I go out and speak. And so I was really encouraged to meet Judith Hall. You know how uh, you hear somebody, like you all probably hear me, me, and I'm sure you're thinking I'm drop-dead gorgeous and all of that, but then when you see me, it's like, oh, you're not how I envision you. Well, I do that too, and I had a vision of what Judith Hall looked like, and so when I saw her, she didn't look anything like what I thought, and so I got to meet her, and we talked for a while, and now I, I know where she goes to church, and uh, I know what she looks like, and, and I, we've had a precious conversation together, and it was an encouragement to me. And so thank you, Judith Hall, for one, supporting our ministry. Thank you for coming up to me and chatting. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your enthusiasm, your testimony, what the Lord has been doing in your life. And so the Hope Conference in Sarasota, Florida, uh, we taught, uh, we had the pre-conference, 3 o'clock, 3.30, Friday afternoon, and then we went from 6 to 9, or shortly thereafter, Friday evening, and then we went from 9 to 6 uh, on Saturday, and it was a long day, and we finished with a Q&A, and uh, it was really, really good, and so I thank you all down there. Jerry, thank you for praying for me, and so many other people 
Uh, it feels like our lives have been enriched and expanded by meeting uh, some of God's children down in Sarasota, Florida. Let me get to this article, and again, if you want to read this, you're welcome to do it. The title, How to Find Comfort Knowing You Can't Change People. The unchanging person is the loving caregiver's greatest struggle. You love them, and you want to help them. You pour out your heart for them, but they do not change. Sometimes you push too hard. You've done that, I'm sure. I've done it more times than I care to think about. Oversteering the car is the way I describe it sometimes. You just, you're just trying too hard. Other times you give up. Knowing how to respond to each individual is a wisdom issue. And so you never really know. It is a moment where you truly have to depend upon the Lord, where you're praying and asking God, give me wisdom on how to interact with this unique person who is different from the last person and will be different from the next person. It falls under that that big umbrella, that overarching wisdom that we have to walk in. But being restful and having a restful soul That's non-negotiable for all of them. And so the question is for this podcast, are you a restful soul as you think about the person you love so much, but that individual is not changing? And so there you are. You're sitting near the rim of the Grand Canyon, watching an angry, hurt, confused, but determined group of people file by you one by one. All of them are blindfolded. They walk up to the edge and over the rim, plummeting to the bottom. You are sitting. You are watching. Each day comes. The stories are different, but the result is the same. What do you do? Do you yell? Do you warn? Do you appeal? Do you cry? Do you plead? Depending on the situation and the individual you're serving, You make your appeals, whatever they may be, but to no avail. I have just described to you the dilemma of every disciple maker who loves unchanging people and would find no greater joy than to see them change. These caregivers care. They want to help. But they are keenly aware of their human limitations as well as their unique call that does not include changing people. I cannot recollect how many times I have found myself in this unwanted position. I had spoken with hundreds of people who had determined to do what they wanted to do, even though the objective evidence before them was a warning not to proceed. And I'm sure you have your stories too. You counsel, you disciple, you warn, you plead, you pray, and you watch them fall into situations that most of them come to regret. You have to live in the tension of loving a fellow fallen person while recognizing that God has not called you to change anyone. All believers who want to see others have better lives, 
They have to learn how to find rest in their limitations. One of my first counseling sessions many years ago was like this. I'm going to call him Biff. Actually, I don't even know his name. It was more than 20 years ago. It was as I was first getting into the world of of biblical counseling. Biff was a middle-aged man, overweight and recently fired. His wife was on the verge of leaving him. Their children were in full rebellion mode, and his landlord was evicting him. Biff, Biff was also over, head over heels in debt. He sat in front of me with his briefcase beside his chair and a card Rolodex, a, a business card Rolodex in his hand. He had walked to my office from his job where his employer had fired him earlier that day. He walked to my office because he had no transportation. He had no friends to give him a ride. But it gets worse. Biff sat there blaming the world for his problems. His wife was a nag, according to Biff. He added that his children were a nuisance. And as you can imagine, his employer was wrong to let him go. Biff was like a man who had eaten a garden of bitter herbs. Everything out of his mouth had a taint of sourness as he spewed his negativity, his rationalizations, his justifications, and his victimhood all over my office. Biff clearly articulated where all the problems were. They were out there, somewhere, surrounding him while pressing the life out of him. I sat there thinking, that the issues were not that far away, not out there somewhere. They were just behind his short, stubby, wide necktie with the food stain on it. His primary problems were in his heart, not in his world. He was looking so intently at what others had done to him that he could not address what was happening 15 inches below his mouth. His head and his heart were at war with each other, which was the cause of his confusion. Biff listened to what I had to say, but he rejected all of it, at least outwardly. Sometimes you don't know. As people listen, they can put on a front and they can communicate things that really aren't what is going on in their heart. Sometimes their pride can be that strong and and that twisted in their mind that they can't humble themselves and say what they are really thinking. I have no idea what he really thought. Perhaps he agreed or maybe he partly agreed to what I was saying. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that he went home unwilling to change or continued the discussion. And that was the last time that I remember seeing him. I don't know his name and I don't know the conclusion of that story. As I paced the floor sharing Biff's story with Lucia, the tears began to flow. I had an answer for him. There was a solution. My ideas were not my plan for his life, but a much better one. 
They were practical steps outlined in God's word that would help Biff change. But he refused to listen. It was at that moment that I realized I would not last long in my new profession. I had recently become the lead trainer and counselor at my local church. And no matter how hard I tried or cried, I couldn't fix Biff. He was determined to jump into the abyss while blaming everyone around him for his problems. It was at that point when the Lord broke through my proud heart. Yes, it's a, it's a heart with traces of pride that thinks it can change anyone. You can tell when you cross that line. When a person's unchanging ways begin to manage your emotions, and Biff was managing my emotions, or to state it more biblically, I was permitting Biff's life and his struggle and his problems to manage my emotions. It was at that juncture when the kindness of God interrupted my thinking by reminding me that I was not the Savior of the world or any individual. I stopped the mental emotional train that was taking me to some wrong places, and I reminded myself of an age-old fact. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And at that point, sweet relief began to flood my soul, and it was truly at that point there are many times in my life where I feel the Lord's conviction and, and I don't change that quickly. Sometimes it takes weeks, maybe months for me to eventually get to the place where I'm not controlled by whatever that thing is. But on that night in our living room, at that moment when God began to impress upon me that we have a Savior and He is not me, that's when sweet relief did begin to flood my soul. It became clear to me that, that Biff would be representative of a lot of people that I would meet in my future. Now I am in my future, and I am looking back over the landscape, people landscape of 20-something years. And that was true. What was clear then that Biff would be representative is a fact now. Some people do not want to change. Others choose to change long after you meet them. And then some will never change, no matter what you say, no matter what you do for them. It's not your job to change people. Your job is to care for and disciple with compassion, competence, courage, and care as you rest in the expectant hope that God will change that person. Compassion, competence, courage, and care can lead to change. You want compassion because if your heart is not broken for the person that you're caring for, maybe you should stand down a little bit until God breaks your heart for that person because your counsel or the advice or the things that you say to them could come across as harsh and unkind. You must have compassion for the person that is in front of you. Competence, of course, you want to be a student of God's Word. 
courage, absolutely, because sometimes you will have hard things to say to some people, and you need to say them, assuming that the relational bridge is built to them, that you have built that relational bridge where they trust you, and they will permit you to carry those strong arguments over to them, and that takes courage and then care. They need to feel and to experience your care. And that is the limitation of what you can do as you hope expectantly that God will change them. Now, you will know if you're not resting in Christ, if any of the following things begin to characterize how you think and talk about the unchanging person. And so I want to give you a non-exhaustive list. These are indicators And virtually all of those indicators will come out of your mouth as they reveal your heart. And if anything, any of these are part of how you think about the the unchanging person that you're caring for, then you've crossed the line and you need to back up because you're starting to take on the role of a mini-Messiah. For example, and again, a non-exhaustive list, gossip. Gossip is you share the person's problems with other folks who are not part of the solution, a very common thing that happens. Number two, slander. Slander is making false statements about the person you're trying to help. Sometimes you can become some, so frustrated with an individual that you start, you start talking in a way that, that you should regret. And if you are talking this way, hopefully you will regret it. Gossip is an indicator that you cross the line about this person. You don't have compassion anymore. Slander is very similar. There's no compassion, but now you're being more hurtful. A third one is criticizing. You talk negatively about the person to others. And then number four is fear. You overthink about their problems or the possibilities of what could happen if they don't change. Many parents struggle this way, and you you could take the words worry and anxiety and fit them up inside this, you could call fear a basket word, and inside that, that big basket are other words like worry and anxiety, certainly something that trips up many parents and grandparents as they, they think about their children and their grandchildren. You're overthinking the problem or the possibilities that could happen if they don't change. Impatience is another. You're tired of meeting with them because there's no evidence of change. Been there, done that. I have a link here, by the way, in under this blurb here uh, that will take you to an article that I wrote about uh, when the counseling is not going anywhere and, and how to think about maybe possibility the termination of, of the relationship as far as a discipleship counseling relationship. And then there's apathy. You just don't care any longer. So you become dismissive and unsympathetic toward them. And then finally, lack of pity. Their issues do not make you biblically sad. It was what I was talking about earlier with this idea of compassion. And you will know if you're not resting in Christ, if any of these things begin to characterize how you think about and talk about that person. Now, there are more Then gossip, slander, criticizing, fear, impatience, apathy, and and lack of pity. And I'm sure you can add a few, but you get the idea. When a person's lack of change begins to control your heart, your mouth will reveal those inner thoughts, and you need to address them immediately 
or you will develop some, some sinful habits. The title of this podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you on our website, How to Find Comfort Knowing You Can't Change Anyone. It became clear to me that Biff was representative of all these people. And I had to change. But the problem is, changing anyone is a pay grade higher than the responsibility the Lord has given to me or given to you. Change is His job, not our job. You and I are in the Lord's army, carrying His water and His seed, providing it for whosoever will. We're always on the prowl, planting wherever we go, praying, and waiting on the gospel, waiting on the good Lord to bring growth. It was that night, only a few hours since my encounter with Biff, that I removed the comma after the word watered in Paul's verse. The verse that I'm talking about is 1 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so where it says, I planted and Apollos watered, comma, but God gave the growth, I removed the comma, and I put a period right there as a reminder that I have to stop just after planting and watering. It is the Lord who provides the growth. Now, how about you? Where do you typically stop when caring for others, specifically those that you love a lot? Perhaps it would be more instructive to answer that question by evaluating how you think and respond to those you love the most. Typically, it's not those whom we have no history with that trip us up. We can give them counsel and and not be managed by whatever happens post-discipleship opportunity or post-counseling. But it's those with whom we've invested blood, sweat, and tears who tempt us to cross the line, and we become many messiahs. The way you will know if you have crossed the line with someone is by how you think and talk about them. If you do cross that line with them, you will have become their mini-messiah. The person who is trying to mandate a change in their lives. This mistake is enormous if you persist in trying to force or coerce or manipulate a person to change. You will more than likely ruin that relationship. I want to give you a few ways you can test yourself to see how, if you have crossed the line. Each one of the thoughts that I'm going to share with you, and there's only about six or seven of them, but they all begin with, I have crossed the line when. I have crossed the line when. I become impatient with the person who is not changing. I gossip about them to others, talking about what their problems are. I over-worry about what will happen to them or me if they do not change. I live in anxiousness when thinking about them. I become frustrated with them because they will not change. I become demanding toward them. I, I have crossed the line when... I feel the weakening of my faith in God because the unchanging person is not meeting my change expectations. Are you tempted to be a mini-messiah with someone, maybe with a handful of people, hopefully not with everyone? And if you are, how do you need to change? What is wrong with that? What is wrong with you that motivates you? to attempt to take the Lord's work from him. 
why is trusting this person to the Lord hard for you to do? What I would love for you to do is to to take these few questions that I have asked you and to take them to a friend and to share this article here with them. Talk about the person that you are uh, th- that you're struggling with, the person that won't change, and and again, you would find no greater joy for them to change and and help them. I appeal to them to help you to to identify what is happening to you and and what you need to do. Now, I have some other resources here that will also serve you. For example, I have a video in our Life Change series. It is free. You can click the link here, and it's video number 11. And so if you click this link in our Life Change series, watch video number 11, and it will help you. The second thing I would love for you to do is to study the embedded articles that are inside this article. There are half a dozen or more of them, and they will serve you well. And then the third thing is what I've already mentioned. I want you to share your thoughts and share these resources with a friend. You do need a come-alongside friend to walk with you through this, because if other people's lack of change, lack of transformation has that kind of power over you, you need to get someone to help you to walk walk this out. And then finally, if you have questions that you want to ask us, we have a free community forum. It is provided by you, uh, for you by Judith Hall and several other people who support this ministry. And so it's free. You come and and you ask your question. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. You'll find the title on the website, How to Find Comfort, Knowing You Can't Change People. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net. 